Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in a sunny yet empty capital on lockdown. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mary Ann Bowling, owner and group managing director of the Ringley Group, a leading property services company. Mary Ann, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, normally, we'd get straight into discussing leadership, but considering the current circumstances, uh, I'd like to address the COVID-19 situation. How has that affected your business? Uh, we're fortunate in a way, and so far it only affects probably 50% of our business. That's the professional services because the property market is all but crashed with sales and lettings transactions um, diminished. But a lot of what we do is actually to manage assets. And of course, the job of managing and arranging can be done from anywhere. Uh, we are facing new challenges to make sure that contractors who we need out are only out for emergency um, matters and are suitably protected. Um, but there's a lot of work still going on. And I think probably 93% of our teams working as normal. Now, was it easy to make the transition to working from home? Uh, for us, yes, because we've always been an early adopter of technology, so we have most things set up. There were a couple of widgets that we quickly got our programmers to put in place um, just to make a few things easier, and we have uh, managed to get, um, I think, 63% of our clients to um, subscribe to email-only correspondence during this time. Um, to help because, of course, the government at the moment still says that things like service charge demands do need to go out physically. And if that's what they require, but you're not a key worker, then that's a bit of a conundrum. Of course, of course. Um, Well, let's move on to the subject of leadership. Um, Of course, uh, I always like to start this part of the program off by asking a question uh, that's rather simple, but uh, sometimes has a more complex answer. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, I'm very much one who's a hands-on leader. There's nothing that I would expect anybody else to do that I either haven't done in my career or wouldn't do if it was necessary today. So very much I like to lead by example. Of course. Um, But the leader really needs to, I guess, set a vision, um, something that's compelling, something that people want to follow. Um, And you have to um, have a challenge that has let's say, an altruistic purpose for its own rights. So at Ringley, it's very important about um, the fact that we can change a perception of an industry, one transaction or one happy leasehold or owner at a time. Um, because, and to us, it's about bringing yourself to work. So I guess as a leader, that means that I have to also give people a flavour of who I am and what I am um, to make them want to leave, um, follow me um, rather than just um, come to work. And how do you achieve that? Do you have any special method? Um, I don't know, really. Um, I guess the desire to push forward um, and a ruthless desire to, um, I suppose, get the best answer through debate to get the best answer. Quite happy to be wrong. Um, if there's something that's articulated or presented better. Um, but it's about having a single-minded drive forwards all the time. There's always something that can be improved, something that can be better. Um, and 
along that journey, um, the thing that gives the most satisfaction is being able to help people become the best that they can be. So there's a lot of focus on uh, training and investing in people. Um, and really, my job is to make sure that the tools that we give them to do their job should be as simple as possible um, so that they can have everything they need at their fingertips um, and all the training aids and learning skills and money behind that too um, so that then they can bring their personality to work and really just shine um, who they are to inspire our customers. Now, in addition to the training that you provide, do you offer, also offer mentorships? Um, we do. Um, I mean, some of the training we provide is what takes a, a variety of forms. Um, that could be training videos, online training, off-site courses. The mentoring tends to come more so where people are doing professional qualifications. We do qualify people through ILEX, through the RICS. Um, through um, degrees and apprenticeships. So there are different types of mentors in different types of situations. But certainly, um, let's say job-wise, it's not just about the skills, it's about how you can apply them to the job. And it is important to take an um, interest in the modules that people may be learning to try to find practical application of that to validate um, what they're doing. What's the most important thing that young people entering the workforce today should know and what is your advice to them? Um, We tend to find a challenge with um, a number of people. We often prefer to take people at apprenticeship level because it's easier to slowly invest over them over a period of years sometimes than it is to take um, a graduate. Um, That said, we do take people through all the way to level four apprenticeships and then through their degrees afterwards. So it's not as if coming to ring an apprenticeship means you're not going to get a degree. It just means we'll take you on a route that combines, I suppose, the joys of the office and um, colleagues and a social life, um, as well as learning, as well as practical application. So it really depends on the type of person. But my advice to the younger generation really is, Um, don't be too narrow in your thinking I think perhaps when I was starting out literally you were prepared to do anything Uh, but it seems um, to me that a lot of the younger generation want to have a very narrow focus Why do you think that is? um, Sometimes I think there's a desire to think that let's say a job in social media is a job about playing when actually social media for example is all about metrics and results and probably having an A star in English literature and English language. It's not just what you do um, with certain tools in the home. It's not what you do with certain tools in the workplace. Mm. So it's a practical application and understanding that it is tied to intelligence. We have um, entrance exams for maths and English to try to make sure that we um, make the right uh, decisions. But certainly with the youngsters, I think on apprenticeships, Often we only have a 60% success rate just because the others literally um, can't get out of bed reliably on time five days a week and turn up with a good attitude. Do you think this is a failure in education's part or do you think this is a failure on their parents? Um, A mixture of both. I think that over time the um, employer has taken on a certain part of the parenting role, which I don't think is necessarily fair or right. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, certainly I do feel that we have. 
um, right down from helping people where they have problems with their flat or their landlord and writing letters from them through to uh, making sure that there are enough social events that work and that they're on as inclusive type um, through to um, awards around the office that everybody votes on every month to make sure that um, you know a range of people and a range of talent can get recognised for different things um, through to kind of we have a living the values exercise where if somebody's done something that embodies one of our three values, uh, which is to add value, take the initiative or build relationships, um, that that's the first pop-up when you log into your system every morning to just remind everybody that we're all doing a little bit of good all the time. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Ringley Group? I think there's um, a renewed vigour in working differently and making sure the customer doesn't see any change. And that's a great thing, not only to make the business stronger, uh, but also um, as some of our competitors do fail, I suppose, um, it helps push us forward to be um, yet again um, a leader in the industry. And also the creative ways that our people are working with each other and supporting each other. And it gives us all time to reflect on is the human all right um, in a remote situation as well as is the work being done. So it's giving us more time to reflect on things that you don't reflect on quite so much when everybody's in front of your face every day. When you're working remotely, I think there's an extra dimension there. And we're all trying to do as much as we can to make sure that everybody gets the love they need. Well, Marianne, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you can come back on the program at some point in the future. Marianne, thank you. You're welcome. That was Marianne Bowring, owner and group managing director of the Ringley Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? 
Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62 four years before the final when I played and so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player if you like not as a, a guy with the same age group as me and I looked at how he how he uh, trained how he acted how he behaved and how he played and so he he would say I would also say he was a big influence on me one thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that 
era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, at, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia. Only a couple of months before the final, and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left 
behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that 
by by quick one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration. Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And, of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know, uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, 
back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that, um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely... Uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.